Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other end. If you would permit me, sir, I'd like to read you. I would like to quote me uh, <laughs> from right after the game Saturday. And I think it's a good exercise in, um, in the heat of the moment, right? Yeah. And how it gets a little out of control. So for years, as long as I've had Twitter, I've done three things as soon as a Buckeye game goes over. Right, so, right, right. It usually, I mean, sometimes this happens. I, I've done them as early in the urban era as the second quarter of games when they're up 49 to nothing. I mean, that happened a lot in the early years. Um, and then sometimes they last all the way and, you know, they, they're they they're done at final whistle because that's the way that it goes. But this week's was done late in the fourth quarter. And this was the bonus four. So the, the bonus four was, and I'm, I'm quoting me right now. It says, I'm not comfortable pretending this is a playoff contender. Not after that. I'm shocked at how flat they came out today. Didn't see that coming. Urban's teams always rebound from losses, get better as the season goes on. This one did not. Not yet anyway. As I look back on that 48 hours ago, the one thing that I would change is I'm not comfortable with them with pretending this team is a national championship contender. Because if you watch the rest of college football, like it or not, they are a playoff contender. They are because of the carnage that happens in college football. Now, will they get there? I tend to think that they've got, they still got a very good shot. We'll get to Michigan in a minute. This is a flawed, flawed team. Yeah. Probably the most flawed Urban Meyer team um, that he's had at Ohio State. In that they, especially on defense, simply... The mix of a scheme that does not fit the talent and the overall lack of talent in the back seven, coupled with the fact that Nick Bosa is not there to make mm -hmm. up for a lot of that, has led to an Ohio State defense, the likes of which we have not seen in a very, very long time, that Nebraska took full advantage of on Saturday. And they're not the first, and they won't be the last. Um, we it was I was a little stunned, Johnny, that we basically just came out, despite what are the weaknesses not perceived the real weaknesses of this defense that we basically came out and ran the same stuff defensively <laughs> that we've been running. I mean, it's yeah. really the definition of insanity what's going on. So despite all of that, we are a playoff contender. I don't want to play Bama. I have no interest in it, but we are a playoff contender because of the way that this thing could, could and very likely will shake out deserve it or not. We are in that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think from a theoretical standpoint, yes, Ohio State, I, you know, there is a, I guess, mathematical argument you can make to say that Ohio State could potentially find themselves in a playoff position. Yeah. But honestly, if I'm on the committee, and even if the math is shaking out towards the end of the season, which it very well might, I mean, there could be all kinds of chaos in the last few yeah. weeks. Who knows? Uh, especially with the way the championship games are going to look. Um, I don't care <laughs> if I'm on the committee. I look at that and I, I think of any reason I possibly can to not put Ohio state in the playoffs. I think yeah. they've looked bad, uh, multiple weeks. And again, you know, if it's all about money, we can talk about logistics, but if, if we're looking at just the quality of a team, I mean, you don't come out after two weeks to prepare, uh, get a two and six team at home and beat them by five points and call yourself a playoff team. I, I just, talent wise, Playing wise, they are so far behind so many other teams. I think right now that you know, first of all, I don't think they get out of November unscathed anyway. But I, I just think that yeah, it'll be moved then. 
Yeah, I, and I just I just think that their way that they're playing is just really not good in, in so many different ways, and I would not want any part of an Ohio State team in a playoff. Because, look, what they get they slide in the four spot, and then they get beat by 50 points by Alabama. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want that. And I don't honestly think that anybody really wants to watch that who isn't an Ohio State fan, unless you really hate Ohio State. So I just, for me, they're not a playoff team, at least in terms of, you know, playing wise, I think I think you're right. I think logistically, technically, mathematically, yes, they can probably do it, but I just don't want to see it. I, I hope that doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah, I won't advocate for them because I don't I don't know that at this point there's no way you could. You'd look like a fool. Right. Um if they beat Michigan, you know, in the final game, that'll be the you'll be beating the third ranked team in the country at that point, I do believe. Um, and you'll probably rank sixth fifth or sixth because i do think they're going to win this week and i obviously they'll beat maryland so you'll be ranked fifth or sixth at that point when that happens and then i i wonder what if it's a different feel to it i you know there what's what's this has been it started you know with what happened in july and august and it's continued for much of the season where there's just this feeling of discomfort with this team right and i can't shake it like it's they don't seem totally bought in um, you know, urban's had this thing hanging over his head, you know, really all year. And I don't think he's been able to shake it. He, you know, he had that last week after we had, uh, taped this, he had that, you know, he releases that statement or he sits down with the, um, you know, the four writers or whatever. And he, he tells them, you know, what he's been going through and how serious it is. And he says, I'll coach Ohio state as long as I'm able. And you just think, well, geez, like that's pretty heavy. Like, as long as I'm able, like if that's even part, if as long as I'm able is part of it, then you need to shut it down. Yeah. That Um, could be next week. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, so I don't, I don't understand. I was shocked by that. And I would have, I think the advice he's getting from people is just all wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I never would have said that publicly what he said. There's no, there's no gain for it. He's trying to change. I think he's on several instances, he's tried to change the narrative around him nationally. And I, if I were advising him, I would tell him that there's no doing that, that the right. narrative is set. And well, the only thing you can do is win. And, and hopefully it takes, that takes care of some of it, right? But the people in Columbus, for the most part, you're beloved. And so don't worry about anybody else. You can't be yeah. worried about what pundits on ESPN think, or, or people in the South think, or people at Florida think like, just be concerned with what people at Ohio think, and most of the people in Ohio adore you and are yeah. very appreciative of what you have done. So just just be satisfied with that because yeah. trying I, to rewrite a narrative, Johnny, it's impossible. Yeah, I want to jump in on that because I, I want to tell you something. I have been thinking about that a lot. Like, why why do you come out and say all that stuff? And I, I maybe it's, you know, people don't like to see his body language on the sidelines or whatever. I, frankly, that's irrelevant. I don't think that's something that Urban Meyer should ever worry about or think about. But when you tell people that you've got like an arachnoid cyst and people can, I mean, that sounds scary as hell. Like, honestly, like that sounds terrifying. I know it's not, it may not be life-threatening, but it sounds horrifying. And if, you know, you say you're dealing with persistent migraines, you're like, okay, that's, that's bad. But I, I think the issue is, you know, maybe he didn't want people just to be speculating and, and that could hurt recruiting and all that. But frankly, it's it's moot because people are going to use whatever they want against you in terms of yes. recruiting. They'll use your body. Like giving them more ammunition by verbalizing, by identifying yes. what it is, is just so much worse than just letting people be dumb and speculate. Because then at least you can like, you know, counter against it. But once you put that in the air, 
people can run wild and you don't know what arachnoid cyst is it like i said it sounds terrifying and to somebody who's just a layman they hear that that's not going to do good things for whatever your perception is anyway so i just to me that whole thing was just dumb as hell i don't understand why you come out and say that i i it gives you more background on how he's feeling and i appreciate the openness uh but it's just odd to me that you would need to be that open at this point in the season and I think he has every right to be however open or private yeah. with his health matters as he wants to be. I just don't know what that helps. Um, you know, I don't know how that benefits is, him or the you're team. Right. No, it doesn't. Yeah. But what happens is, is he is super, he is for better or worse, really concerned with, especially what ESPN thinks of him. He right. really is. And it's bugged him his whole coaching career. I think it bugged him tremendously. And I get it. Like, he is fighting like hell the perception that he, you know, this is going back to July and August, that he, you know, covered up for a domestic abuser. And that's the perception that people have of him nationally, true or false. And much of that's been proven to be false. In right. fact, I think all of that part's been proven to be false from what Urban knew. I mean, I think that has been. And so, and yet, like that narrative is still out there and he's trying to combat it. And so, because that happened, you knew, I can tell you from a television production standpoint, that. Every production meeting would have said a camera on Urban Meyer yeah, at all oh, times. Yeah. Absolutely. Camera on Urban Meyer for reaction at all times. We want right. to see his reaction to everything. And so basically, because he is anguishing with every single game, um, it's, you know, he's exacerbated at every moment. And so, you know, that's what made Herbie say what he said. And I think when Herbie said it, because Herbie said it and he said it on ESPN, then that got Urban to react, which had him do what he did. And I would have just advised him not to. And um, I would, you know, he's been dealing with this thing since 2014. So this isn't anything new. Um, And so like, it just was a, it's a weird thing. And I think, so I think that cloud has been over this team all year. I think you couple with that, the fact that he has a quarterback who, while is probably the most supremely talented quarterback, maybe we've ever had at Ohio state. I can't speak to Rex Kern. I didn't see it. I didn't (laughs) see Arch Schleister, but in terms of just like having the, the tools to be like a pro has is the best I've ever seen in the 30 years I've been paying attention to Ohio State football. I've never seen anybody with the gifts that Dwayne Haskins has in terms of translatable to the NFL, but he does not fit Urban's offense. He's un- he's an unwilling runner. Like we saw him in the game against Nebraska where he basically just trips and kind of falls down even when there's <laughs> yards to be had. Like he's just, even Cardell Jones was a willing runner. Dwayne Haskins is not. And Urban yeah. was asked about it and he said, well, what are you telling me? And he said, well, I tell him to run as far as he can and get down. And And so that's they're, they're obviously made this deal with the devil that they're going to play this way because he's supremely talented, but they're not comfortable playing this way offensively. So at least finally, now it was against Nebraska, but at least finally they got the run game going. Um, I think it's a little bit of fool's gold because they still ran a lot of read option. They so did. Nebraska is a bad defensive team, and we have two really good tailbacks. And so they were able to take advantage, but I don't know if that will trans- translate to Michigan State, who's the best run defense in the Big Ten. That I don't know. Um, right. So that's it's that's all of those things. I think they just stack up. They just have stacked up all year, and it's just it's a really tricky team to try to wrap your head around with three games to go this far in. Well, I think I think discomfort's a really good word for it because it is everything just felt kind of awkward in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, the defense is just bad in a lot of areas, but offensively, especially things just seem very awkward and kind of disjointed and out of place. And that's not really what you want. You want a 
you know, I always harp on this, but you want a theme, you want an, a centralized idea behind what your offense is going to do. And uh, it's, you know, it was cool seeing the offensive line, I think, get to the second level, you know, occasionally, not on a consistent basis, but they did enough for, uh, you know, guys like J.K. to have. I mean, J.K. Dobbins had a great game. Yeah. Um, but you're right. That's against Nebraska. It's against a defense that's just really bad. And you're not going to have that kind of success, most likely, against Michigan State and Michigan because both of those defenses are just absolutely absurd uh, statistically. So, you know, it, the positives that I think that you can take from the Nebraska game, first of all, you've got a guy who comes in, you know, plays a half and has the best half of maybe any non-defensive lineman and like as a defender in the entire season for a half. I mean, how yeah. many, how many, how many tackles do you have? Like 13 tackles, eight yeah. solos, something like that. Right. So, I mean, those are bright spots. Those are the things that you want to see. And I will say though, that Brennan White coming in and doing that was so hilarious, not just because it was unexpected, but because, because it also threw into contrast how bad everybody else has been that you're like, wow, this guy can make a tackle. He can actually, you know, yeah. diagnose a play within five seconds. And it's, it was just, it was, it was great. And it was also kind of absurd and a little irritating because, you know, you watch this guy who's had almost no playing time come in and just dominate, whereas all these other guys who've been given the full faith and confidence of the coaching staff, all the first team reps are just getting schooled by this dude who's only in because of, uh, you know, because of fluke, basically. So I just. Well, it makes you yeah. question all of it, doesn't it? I mean, like, really Brendan does. White's dad is William White, who's yeah. one of the best and who's going through, you know, ALS and all of this stuff and right. you know, was a good player, was a great player with the Lions and you know, all of these things and he can't see the field. And then when he does, because of absurd circumstance, he's the best defensive player we have in the back seven. And you go, what happened here? Like, I just feel like they've never had a pulse of of what this talent can do defensively. And I don't know if it will bite him again in the next three games. I don't know if it will. Um, Michigan is going to be something else, but if they get through Michigan, they can, they'll beat Northwestern. And at that point, we're back to the original question of, you know, <laughs> what do you do with this team? And the ideal scenario would probably be win the Big Ten. Go, this is someone asked me this just in fact, it was just today. They asked me about, you know, Urban. And now, of course, this is the big chatter, like will Urban return and all this stuff. And I said, you know what? I said, Urban is an ultra emotional guy who has his 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 highs are Mount Everest and his, his lows are Death Valley. I mean, it's that big of a of a swing. And I said, he's not, he's not real even Steven. He's very emotional. And I said, I think the best thing for Urban would be to win out, win the Big Ten, go to the Rose Bowl, and win the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Like, beat somebody from the pack. If it's Washington State, like, if Washington State misses the playoff too, like, if Washington State and Ohio State are ranked, you know, fourth, fifth, and sixth, and then they go play in the Rose Bowl and then win the Rose Bowl, then he could make a, a, a decision with a clear conscience. By the because, way, this, this year's Washington State team versus this year's Ohio State team is and, and Mike Leach against Urban Meyer is like a dream oh, for me. I would I would Meyer, be so happy. Leach is one of my favorite people in all of coaching. He is hilarious and he is a genius. He's yeah. not I'm not even I'm not he has won at Texas Tech and Washington State. Right. So nobody does that. Top ten teams. Yeah. Nobody yeah, does that. And he never so played he, football. He's, he's a lawyer. Like that's yeah. yeah. That would be unbelievable. He's a genius. The dichotomy between the two of them at the Rose Bowl media days would be just hilarious. So that would be, um, <laughs> I would be very excited for that. If that's, and I think that would allow Urban to reassess all of this with a clear conscience. Yeah. Uh, one, one last thing on this, on this game. I'll tell you what, 
he does not have the players yet, but Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez are going to win big in this league. Yep. By the time he's a junior, by the time Martinez is a junior and Frost has three recruiting classes going into that year, look out. They will be the class of the West because yeah. that dude can coach and they are just they just don't have the depth, they don't have the talent, they're not there. But the Martinez kid is really good and Frost can coach it up because he put he was the better coach in terms of what was being called on the field uh, on Saturday. I don't know what the hell he was thinking in the la- in the fourth quarter, not taking timeouts, but um, <laughs> right. aside from his clock management, he knows well, how, how to coach. You, I mean, how do you problem. measure how do you measure young teams, right? Young, you measure improvement over the course of the season. Yep. You're not expecting them to win anything. Mm-hmm. And the, the level of improvement that a team like Nebraska and Purdue have made over the course of the season is insane. Yep. Like they are clearly improving at an incredibly rapid rate. And that's, right. that's what you want to see. And that's that, especially with a young team and those guys, Rom, Frost, all these guys, they know what they're doing. And, you know, again, the Big Ten deservedly got a lot of crap at the beginning of the season, but I think it's pretty obvious that their coaching stable, you know, even guys that, you know, we like to rip on, like Fitzgerald, who never, you know, is so up and down. I don't rip on like, Fitzgerald. Well, for what he's done at Northwestern, I mean, come on. Like, that's I mean, no, what, I don't what rip do you on that guy. Like, he's done some incredible I, things for there. So, no, I would never rip on him. Right. I'll tell you, guy, look at, look at Illinois. Yeah, I mean, love, I mean Smith, yes, they ran for I 400 yards ball. against Minnesota last weekend. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so everybody, yeah. everybody in the better. Big Ten seems to be like they're put, investing a lot in making their teams better over the course of the season. They did not throw in the towel after a crappy first month. And it, you know, again, that's one of those things where it kind of stands in contrast with Ohio State this season, which just seems to have never gotten out of first gear. And it's, you know, it sucks, but it's, it also kind of makes you, you know, wonder, you know, one of the things that people were, roasting me a little bit and i think chris also from the site on twitter about was like you know maybe the talent isn't super awesome in ohio state in some of these places maybe some of the players on the field aren't the best options what they have on the roster and they got to start you know rethinking some of the things that they do and people are like well no they're all five stars four stars like that may be but that doesn't mean they're all created equal you got to find the guys that are going to be playing the best and if you can't do that you got to coach them up so it's the same i don't thing know i've happened at the end at florida johnny it's yeah. the same thing all of a sudden, you looked up and you went, "Well, what the hell's going on there?" You know, he's he's recruited. It's number one or number two class every year when he was at Florida. You're like, "What happened here?" Why? Are, and what happened was, is some of these kids at I'm talking about the Florida situation. Right. Some of the kids at the end of the Florida situation believed that they were entitled to the greatness that the other kids that the previous kids at the Florida situation earned. Mm-hmm. So you can be five star, and you can be all world, but if you don't have to feel like you have to work. Right. And I'm not saying that's happening here, but that's what happened at Florida. Yeah. That's, Urban Meyer's last recruiting class at Florida was the number one recruiting class in the country. Last class. And people act like he let, left the cupboard bare. He was still doing the same thing. He was still doing the same thing. It's just the kids were the kids were coming in a little bit entitled. Right. They got to put in the work. Yeah, you got to put in the work. And so that I, I think you and Chris made good points. And I it's not the same, clearly, at, at linebacker and in the secondary. It's just not no. what we've seen. And yeah. it's it's exposed by what we're trying to do defensively, which just makes it, it makes it glare even brighter, right? Right. It's more obvious because of what we're trying to do. We are calling defense as if we have Darren Lee and Ryan Shazier and Malik right. Cooker. Exactly. And Marcus right. Lattimore. I mean, we're, that's how we're calling D de- and Denzel Ward. Like we're calling defense. Like we have those guys and we don't, and yet we're still calling defense like we do. And yeah. so we're, we haven't adjusted. 
So that's that's why you see, and that's a shame. I mean, I really thought in the bye week those things would get fixed, and they just weren't. Um, real quickly, let's go around the country. Uh, Michigan whipping Penn State. Two things I want to touch on. Michigan whipping Penn State. I have been, for much of the season, I've watched a lot of Michigan football. I have, I have believed that Michigan, well, we grade Ohio State against Alabama, and we'll get to that in a second. I believe that we we grade Michigan against past Michigan. So people would say, well, Michigan's looks great. Michigan's great. They're great. They're a contender. They're all these things. And I said, well, you're comparing them against previous Michigan. You're not you're not holding them to the same standard as Alabama. And I, as we do with Ohio State, holding Ohio State to the Alabama standard. And while I do think that is true, I did not think that they would whip Penn State the way they did. No, they manhandled them. Yeah. And they really manhandled them. And defensively, they're a problem. And they are figuring it out under Shea Patterson and Higdon and the they got Tariq Black back and that helps. Um, they have they James said this, Lauren Ida said this on our show today. He said they the offense they're running right now reminds me of the offense that they ran with the 49ers with Kaepernick when they got to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that's what it looks like to me. And yeah. that's that's a problem for for the rest of the month. And they're gonna cruise to us because they got Rutgers and they got Indiana and then they got us. Yep. And not only that, so they got Rashawn Gary back there. So that's, I mean, that's a huge part of their defense that they have come. And he, he had a great game uh, against Penn State. And they, yeah. look, I mean, the, the thing about Michigan, and I, I write the whole, you know, threat level Michigan thing every Monday. And, uh, you know, I talk about how they did the previous week. And, and it's, it's kind of tongue in cheek. And I, I don't really get super into the X's and O's. But what I will say that worries me the most about Michigan is not necessarily their defense, although that's what I tend to focus on. It's the fact that their offensive line has just gotten progressively better yeah. over the course of the season. And their running game is a real strength right now. Like Karen Higdon had a great game against Penn State, which is, you know, not a not a terrible defensive team. And they, you know, the thing is, is that what made Michigan look not super great on offense at the beginning of the year is that they could not finish drives and they couldn't uh convert on third down and that was one of their biggest problems because they they could get a couple yards and then they'd get in third and short and then nothing was happening they i think were like they were over 50 percent at least on uh on third down against penn state i mean they they were dominant in situations where they needed to get short yardage because they've got an offensive line that is just destroying people right now and they've got a running back who isn't spectacular but he's on the level in my opinion of what you would see out of my card occasionally where you're not going to get through you know 300 yards or 200 yards but you'll get 125 on 30 carries where it's like all right this dude's like clockwork and if they can find a guy like that they've got you know donovan people's jones they've got all these other dudes that they can throw to they've got tight ends they can throw to it is a very multifaceted offense it's got a you know a a quarterback that is clever a dude that can run around a little bit he's not going to throw for 300 yards very often but he can put the ball in places where he needs to it's just they've they've basically cobbled together after that loss against Notre Dame they've kind of cobbled together this this attitude and idea about what they want to be and you know I I think the I think the uh, 49ers comparison is pretty apt I would say also that and this is going to be a little blasphemous to Ohio State fans. They remind me a little bit like Ohio State in 2002, where you have a really good running game that's starting to develop, and you've got a quarterback that doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes and a defense that's starting to emerge as like really amazing. So, 
you know, people look at them sometimes they're like, oh, they only won by like, you know, 17 points against a team they should have blown out. It's not their style. They don't need to. And their defense knows that they can shut out a team until the third quarter. So they will. And that's what makes them really difficult to deal with. I don't think they're beating Alabama or anything like that. But to me, they're a legitimate playoff team. They have uh, they've covered most weeks. They've yep. gotten better as the season's gone along. And they are they opened as a three and a half point favorite over Ohio State when I looked today. Yeah. At in the shoe. Right. Yeah. So well, tell you, you what, know, so essentially actually, thinking that's essentially saying that you're gonna win by six. Right. Because typically you're a you know, my the, the standard is home field equals three points. So essentially me, they're saying Michigan's a six and a half point favorite. Let me give you one real quick stat here. Okay. This is this I thought was kind of crazy. This is what I wrote in the uh the threat level Michigan thing. So the last three games they have won uh by a combined score of one hundred one to twenty seven. In the last three games, which to me is nuts. Uh, in the last three games that Ohio State has played, Ohio State has scored 86 points and their opponents have scored 94 points. So that to me tells you a little bit about where these two teams are in terms of relative like, you know, trajectory, I think, in a lot of ways. So that that kind of blew my mind when I when I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it did. The, the, and I've always I wanted this to be a big, big game and it's going to be it's going to be number three or four or even two against number four or five. Yeah. That's what it's going to be. And we haven't had one of these in a while. Well, I guess we had one in 2016. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, but yeah. Michigan was coming off the loss to Iowa and it didn't right. quite have, I mean, we haven't had, we haven't had, we haven't had Michigan on a crescendo in a long time and you're going to get it. Um, the other thing that I, the only other observation I want to make of the weekend was I watched, you know, Joe Burrow for three and a half quarters, get fed to the lions. At, against for Alabama, and yeah. I was flopping, I was flipping back and forth between LSU, Alabama, and Notre Dame and Northwestern. And I would just tell you that that was like comparing apples to unicorns. <laughs> the difference between Alabama and even to a lesser extent LSU, just in terms of the human beings who are playing for those two teams, and LSU is a long way behind Alabama, yeah. and like Notre Dame and Northwestern. Uh, it's they're not playing the same sport. They're not (laughs) what Saban has. And I got to tell you, Alabama starts a lot of sophomores. They're bringing them all back. A lot of them back. All those receivers back Tua back, all of them. He's never had anybody like that kid to go into death Valley and just strangle LSU the way they did. And I don't think LSU is great. Like I'm not pretending LSU is great. But I'm watching that and I'm thinking to myself, all right, and I've talked to some guys and I said, like some guys around the league, and I'm like, how would you beat, what What do you have to do to beat Alabama? And we all kind of settled on this. You've got to be able to get to Tua with four without blitzing. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have a quarterback play perfect. And I so then we said, okay, who are the teams in college football that can do that? The only one that jumped to my mind was Clemson because their defense, defensive front four is the best in college football. And then I thought to myself, well, we would be the other one if we still had Nick Bosa because right. Haskins is good enough that he can score points on anybody. He's a good enough quarterback that he can score points. And our receivers are good enough we can score points on anybody. And I mean, it would, you'd have to, and he'd have to, Haskins would have to play perfect. But if Bosa were healthy, Bosa and Chase Young would be able to get after Tua. Without Bosa, though, I don't think we're in that conversation. They're on another level. 
Yeah, agreed. And it, those are the two elements. You've got to be able to score points. You've got to be able to put pressure on them without giving up the defense uh, in the back seven. So, you know, I, I agree with you. I think Clemson's really the only team with a shot this season. And, you know, what's going to happen is they're going to get into the playoffs. It'll be the national championship game. It'll be Clemson and Alabama. And Alabama will still win by 35 points. So <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable what the yeah. time we live in that this guy, so many coaches like Urban is a guy who loves the build. So many coaches love the build. Very few coaches relish in the maintain. And you're watching it in the pros with Belichick and you're watching it in college with Saban. Like they love the process of maintaining excellence. Not that many coaches love that. And they do. And they're just on another level. I think we're watching the two best to ever do it in NFL and college right now. And the fact is both of them are on the same staff with the Browns in the 90s. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. I knew you were going to bring that up. It's a stunning thing. Um, all right, be sure to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Drygoods.11warriors.com. Do we have anything new coming for the holiday season? Oh, you know what? That that is a good question. We're gonna try to we're gonna try to maybe update our store a little bit. So I would definitely recommend that people uh, check that out. Well, you know, and some of the people's favorites, especially the winter hats, will definitely be in there. Uh, that's I man, I rock that thing constantly. I love the I love the winter hat that we got. So we'll definitely yeah, keep an eye on the store, is what I would say. Well, and then I saw uh, homage and land grant did a skull session T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, so that's really which cool. is really I, Can I think we buy that or that. is that limited edition? That I think that's limited edition. I don't it's know. It's really cool. cool. They did a great job with it. They did. And and yeah. you know, Land Grant, of course, I mean Land Grant is just they've they've got so many different things that they've got going around Columbus. I know I can't I can't uh reveal anything yet, but I know that Land Grant's got some really cool things coming up soon. So I would definitely keep an eye on those guys as well with Walt and all them. They're they're great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Th- before we get into Ask Us Anything, it is Michigan State Week. I would argue that of, of the teams who have haunted us the most in the urban tenure, Michigan State is at the top of the list. Yeah. They're, the two the two losses that they have handed us are two of the more crippling. Um, you think about the loss in 2013. I know Florida State was very good with Jam- Jameis Winston, but a full month to prepare um, for Winston with Urban at that time with a healthy Braxton and Carlos and Shazier and Roby and all those guys. I would have taken our chances in that. And in 2015, with a backup quarterback that came into the shoe and beat the most talented team maybe in Ohio State history. So they've taken a lot from us. Now we go up there. They cannot move the football. They cannot. So to me, Nebraska is was more of a threat because of what they could do offensively. I don't see how, as bad as we've been defensively, Michigan State's been worse yeah. offensively. Like they're one of the most despicable offensive teams i've ever seen yeah um, so as good as they are and as good as dino will have them prepared to me they're just not offensively they're not good enough to make you pay right i mean look this isn't a situation where you know d'antonio loves the mission game and he, he throws the kitchen sink at it uh and i i think when you've i mean he's done some pretty crazy stuff for the ohio state game as well but i i really think that you're you kind of nailed it their weakness you know, you want to play weakness on weakness. If you got a glaring, te- you know, weakness on your team and it's defense, you better hope that the opponent just does not have any idea about how to move the ball. And this is one of those times where that is the case. Um, so, I, you know, I, if it's going to be a situation where, you know, maybe you can't run it very well against Michigan State, I still trust Wayne Haskins to be able to pass the ball enough to get points, at least enough points to, to put away Michigan State. 
maybe not super early, but I think by the time the third quarter rolls around, it's going to be uh, not so much of a game. So, which is fine. I mean, Ohio State needs they need a victory where they don't necessarily coast all the way, but they can at least relax a little bit in the second half without worrying about a potential game winning drive from a two and six team. You know, in the last you know waning seconds of the fourth quarter. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah I, it's I just this is a, a solid Ohio State win. I think you know they'll cover it and it'll be fine. But it's just one of those things where you got to, you know, I think the line is what like five and a half or something like that. You better cover that uh, against an offense like Michigan State. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there shouldn't be any. I'm. I was trying to think of like. I mean, the only way I could see Michigan State making it because I just can't see them scoring enough even as bad no. as we've been. I just don't think they'll score enough. So, I mean, the only way that like you want a recipe for an Ohio State upset you know, loss up there. The only thing you can think of is just turnovers galore, you know, pick sixes, Haskins, fumbled punts, that type of stuff. I mean, just a disaster, but um, it's, you know, it's a noon game. It's kind of a weird noon. Usually those are three thirties. Those are games up at Michigan state and in the mm-hmm. past, they've even been night games in early November up there. Um, so it's, it's a noon start, which is a little weird. It's probably going to be cold, um, but it's, it's hard for me to just come up with a roadmap for Michigan state. I mean, I kind of think this one will be more comfortable even than last week. Yeah, I mean, if you so if you if you're looking for things to freak out about, uh, you know, it's supposed to be fairly cold. Ohio State put the ball on the ground, I think, six times against Nebraska. They only lost maybe one. I think it was like two of them, maybe, which is still a lot. But, uh, you know, if, if they can't keep a handle on the ball and Michigan State's able to recover and Ohio State's end and get some easy points that way, I think that's the way Michigan State can keep it close. But, man, I've, I've watched some of these Michigan State games. Their offense is just atrocious and i would hope i would hope that ohio state has learned its lesson and they're gonna put guys like white on the field and do some things where you get you know guys who know how to tackle and and not give up second chance you know after uh, after contact points and yards and stuff so you know i like i said I, I think this is gonna be a fairly comfortable win i'm a little like i said like you i'm more optimistic just because it's not a you know a strength on weakness kind of thing but they like I said, they just need a confident win on the road, not against a great team, but against a team that can make them maybe look a little bit uh, with their heads up. I think going in the last couple games of the season. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Build on some confidence. Hopefully, the running game can continue to go. Right. I, 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 right. was, I mean, Dwayne's got to get sharp again. He wasn't that sharp coming out of the bye. It's the first time I saw him kind of miss some guys and. Um, you know, sail a few balls. So he wasn't quite as sharp as what we're accustomed to with him. And again, he's been elite, so he still was great, but he just wasn't what he had been. So hopefully he gets rolling a little bit. And then you really want that, that Maryland game to be a, a real tune up, you know, where you can just kind of coast and come in 10 feet tall and bulletproof to the Michigan game. Cause Michigan's going to Michigan's going to beat Rutgers by 110 and then they're going to beat <laughs> Indiana by 110. I mean, they're going to be 40 to three, both of them. So, um, yeah. You know, that's they, they are going to be, you know, number three in the country going in and, and we need to have the same type of feeling going into that game. Um, and that that will all start with with taking care of business against Michigan State. And again, and again I kind of think that they will. All right, sir. Uh, we have time for ask us anything if we have any. Yeah, we do. Uh, so, again, you guys can ask us anything. Please continue to do so. You always ask great questions. Send them to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. Let's start with Bill. Uh, Bill sent us a really good question that I think it, okay, so I like this question because to me, it is almost like the antithesis of what we've kind of seen this season. He asks us, relative, relative to expectations, what was the best Ohio State football performance that you have seen? 2012. Yeah, 
Well, so it's individual. How about this? Indiv- I think he, he's specifying individual games. Oh, individual game yeah. relative to expectations? Yes. The Alabama game. I mean, they're 14-point underdogs. Do you think so? You would pick the Alabama game like over maybe the two, like the national championship with Trestle? I wasn't as close to the, I wasn't as close to the Miami, Ohio State national championship game. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't covering Ohio State at that time. I was familiar with that uh, Miami team, obviously, because I was in the South at that time. But um, because I wasn't as comfortable with, I, w- I wasn't as familiar with it. I will say, like going into that game, I I thought it was plausible that Ohio State could beat Miami. Mm-hmm. I thought that was plausible. Um, and I guess I thought it was plausible that they could beat Alabama, but I, I think because of the fact that it was in the South in 14, the fact that it was in the, like nobody beats Bama in the sugar bowl. Nobody had done it. So even though that, that Alabama team, I mean, it's funny. I was just looking at this. Ohio state had 28 NFL players in the two deep against Alabama, 28 Alabama's quarterback was Blake Sims. Okay. And the score is 21 to six with eight minutes to go in the second quarter. Alabama's up 21 to six. And we've got third down backed up to our own end zone when Cardell Jones hits Jalen Marshall on a deep end. And if he doesn't make that throw and you punt to Alabama and they had been running the football, it would have very likely been 28 to six at half. Yeah, that'd be game over. Yeah. So, so I mean, I don't have the point of reference that many do on, on Ohio State, Miami. I was there and covered that 14 team intimately. And so that's why that's. That's why that was my answer. I mean, I think that's. I mean, I think that's a fair. I think it's a fair pick. I. I still have to say it's got to be the Miami game because the reason why I would say that would be a bigger one than Alabama is because Alabama they they certainly were a non-entity, right? This is they were a great team going in, and I think everybody knew that. But I don't think they necessarily had the same type of hype as far as that team had gone as as that Miami team did because that Miami team they obviously they'd won the national championship the year before. But they were there was so much talk about their their winning streak and the fact that they just seemed utterly unbeatable and they were just this machine of a team that could not be stopped and it almost like honestly to me let's say Alabama wins this season and they go undefeated throughout next season that to me would be like the level of hype that I remember Miami having in that you know 2003 yeah. championship game so Ohio State I mean Ohio not only that. But the thing about the the 2014 game against Alabama is that Ohio State clearly had these tools. They were they were coming out and they were destroying some of these teams. Ezekiel Elliott looked amazing. They had you know run but, dudes over since the Virginia Tech game. You know in, in 2002, but, Ohio State was squeaking against Purdue. Right, but what's the one but about 14? Well, right, Cardale. So you've got, you've got the third string quarterback, and that's and that's, nobody thought Cardale right. jo- Cardale Jones was viewed by people nationally as the guy who wrote the tweet. Right. And that's fair. Now he's an NFL quarterback, practice right. squad, whatever. But I mean, he's he's in the NFL and has been since. Yeah. So, you know, but at that time, the idea that Ohio State on their third string quarterback was going to go into the South and beat Bama. Yeah, that's I mean, really it's, I'm, t- I'm, not, I'm not telling you it's more. I think they're probably both nuts. I t- your points on Miami are dead on. They're dead on. Miami was viewed as unbeatable. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just absurdly talented. They really were NFL guys everywhere. But uh, but that that that's another part of that Ohio State Alabama one. There's no wrong no, answer here. No, that's an excellent point. You're right. Um, yeah, and there is no wrong. I mean, both of those games were so thrilling because of the fact that Ohio State was these gigantic perceived underdogs. Um, so, all right. So the next one here, this is from Andy. This is I, I'm really 
glad that he wrote this question. In light of uh, the Gundy, uh, uh, what is your favorite quote? Your maybe post game or maybe at halftime, your favorite quote from a a college uh, football coach ever that I've been in per- in person of hearing, either, or that either I one. just been in person or one that you've just seen on TV. Well, the the best one in, that I, I think is I'm a man. I'm forty. Yeah, also, right. from also from Gundy. That's the best. I'm a man. I'm forty. The yeah. best one I was in the presence of was Bobby Bowden at the Orange Bowl. In 2001, they're playing for a national championship, and Sebastian. I'm going to screw up the quote, but Sebastian Janikowski had been in trouble for like all sorts <laughs> I of stuff. Remember like that? Never made curfew, never did anything. Right. And Bobby had the best personality of all time. He's just yep. the greatest guy. And Bobby said, somebody asked about Janikowski missing curfew and all this stuff, and Bobby said, "Well, he's Polish. He plays by UN NATO rules. I think was the quote. <laughs> he made some reference to NATO, and that because of that, he had different rules. So that's the funniest yeah. one that I've been there in person for." Um, but the, my favorite one of all time is Gundy's I'm a man. I'm 40. Yeah. I'm a man. I'm 40 is, is one of my all time favorites. I will also say that I really love the, the, the coaches are screwing it up for the players. One at halftime. I think it was John L Smith at Michigan state. Could be wrong. I think that's, that's the one where he was just losing his mind. And then the slap, uh, at, in the post game where he hit himself, um, because he was so frustrated with the game, which is, one of the weirdest things I think I've ever seen. That's where the Sparty no meme, I think, really took off. So thank you, Michigan State, for provide, providing years of, uh, you know, just really fantastic garbage, you know, quotes from <laughs> coaches. Because you're so terrible for such a long time. Now you got Mark D'Antonio, who will give you the occasional, like, you know, giggle, but nothing like you saw in the John L. Smith years. Uh, last one here, real quick. This was uh, this was submitted on October 31st, which unfortunately did not give us time to talk about it on Halloween. Okay. Uh, but Alvin wants to know our good friend Alvin best and worst Halloween candy, which there have been so many hot takes in sports radio about this, but yeah. Yeah. I feel like I have a, a unique perspective on this. So, well, so, I mean, I think as a kid, you know, you, well, where I grew up in Montana, like we would go like, I remember this is, I'm a man, I'm 40 was the, uh, <laughs> you know, you'd go and I, there was one lady who would give homemade, fresh chocolate glazed donuts. There we go. Which was incredible. Now you you can do that now, but you could do that when I was a kid. Um, So I'll just tell you like now the best are the mini Snickers because I need to put them in the freezer and that's a dessert. (laughs) Yeah. I love us frozen Snickers. That's spectacular. The worst is any sort of the candy corn nonsense. Like any, I don't, I didn't see much of that this year, but anything like that is the worst. Can I tell you something? I love candy corn. I don't know what's wrong. You can't possibly. There's I don't no know why I do wax sugar. Yeah. I, you know, what's the flavor I'm, on that? I'm there is none. And I, I'm not going to make any excuses for it. I know it's gross. I won't, Ugh. I can't stop eating it. If it's in front of me, I'll eat a half pound of it. I don't know why it, I've got there's a effort wrong. out of you. Yeah, it's gross. Uh, but I can't, I just, I just can't stop eating it. It's, I don't know why. Um, here's what I would say. So I look this, this is like ultimate, sports radio filler material where yeah. this it shows up constantly here's yeah. my take on this my well, I'm gonna it's fun it. though i mean that's why we do it because it's a no, fun i love one. it yeah i love it but i just feel like it might have been answered before here's what i would say um i don't have a lot of hot takes i'm going to give you a uh, a countdown of my favorite candies what i will say though is that what i love about halloween and what makes this stuff special is that everybody has and you mentioned it in your answer everybody has a house 
or a memory of when they were going trick-or-treating. Oh, they yeah. knew where they were going to go. They had a special thing that nobody else had, and they, yeah. they only got it once a year from that one place because they knew they couldn't get it at any other time during the year. And so for me, I didn't have like donuts. You said chocolate glazed donuts. That sounds amazing. Yeah, um, they were. I never had, I never ate cotton candy except on Halloween because there was a guy in our neighborhood who had a cotton candy machine That's that he an would crack out of effort. the garage and make these gigantic, you know, pillow sized cotton candies for kids. That's and you amazing. just stick your head in and you eat it. And that's, and that's, that's amazing. So for me, that's my, that's my favorite Halloween candy yeah. memory is getting those like pillow, yes. pillow sized cotton candy, uh, just monstrous gargantuan things from that dude. Um, the worst, I don't know. The worst is anything that like, I think tries to combine too many things. Like I, I'm, I'm a big fan of like, you can combine two things. I'm, I have no problem with like the pretzel and stuff, but like sometimes you get those bars that have like five different things, like chia seeds and pumpkin seeds and pretzel. I'm like, just give me, yeah. just give me two good things and stick with it and be fine. I don't need to try to like parse the flavor out of some insane bouquet of crap that you put into a bar form. So that's that's what I would say is the worst, and I'm all I'm not a big chocolate like I love chocolate, but I'm not as big as some other people. I like kind of the sweeter candies too. So yeah, uh, let me let me get the cornucopia of uh, jelly beans and stuff like that. I'm I'm more of a fan of that. <laughs> so <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't rant. I did anyway. Um, anyway, that's ask us anything, guys. Continue sending those in. Those are great questions, and we look forward to hearing more next week. All right, buddy, we will be back next week. We will look back at Michigan State and look ahead to Maryland with always an eye on Michigan. It's getting close now. So uh, yeah. we are it, the the countdown to the game being a monster game. I'm legitimately excited for it. I can't wait for it. I'm hoping that everybody gets there safe and we get, we get a classic uh, here in a couple of weeks. But first, of course, take care of business with Sparty this weekend. We'll talk about it next week. All right, pal, talk to you next week, buddy. Talk to you next week. And the last thing that I will say, oh, if sure. you're listening to this before 7.30 tomorrow, okay, I don't care who you vote for, you just need to vote. doesn't matter. I'm not going to stump for any party, any candidate. Exercise your constitutional rights. Go vote. Don't ever take that for granted. Absolutely.